You're listening to the Redeemer London podcast. For more information, visit our website at redeemerlondon.org. Great, good morning. It's great to see you here. Great to be in this room. Isn't it? I love looking over the windows, looking out at Ealing, thinking, God, we want to make an impact on this place for you. We're starting a four-week series. We're doing God Is. But before I say anything, we've just got a quick video clip we're going to show you here. I guess just thinking about this this week, it really quite amazes me. When you think about God and some of these names, actually, it's not just something I was going to say trendy or fashionable. It's something that expresses something of God to us. I have to confess that I named one of my kids, and you're going to sit there and try and work out which one, after a cartoon character. You know, I remember reading the book and just thinking, oh, I really enjoyed that cartoon. I thought, I'll name my kid after that. I think nowadays, if you're a parent now or about to be a parent, there's huge pressure to be as creative and as inventive as you possibly can. In the year 2013, these names were actually used for babies. Flame. Messiah. Cheese. Hurricane. Ajax. Rainbow. Feline. Cricket. Farmer. Felony <laughs> and random. I mean, can you imagine that? Random. <laughs> what are you thinking about? Oh, I don't know. It's all over the place. The fact is that, you know, we nowadays we have names and it's like it just seems bizarre and, and whatever. When we think about God, his name reveals something to us. And what I want us to do is I want us to look at these four weeks and try and get something to understand something of God. Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, one of the first things he said was, hallowed be your name. It's almost like revere and honor the name of God. The Bible is full of words, pictures that describe something of God. We don't have to think that God's some big blob out there and we know nothing about him. If you've got a Bible, I dare you to find every verse. You probably won't be able to, so you may just want to jot some of them down. The Bible is packed with things that t- describe God to us. Um, I- I'm going to try and go through these as quick as I can. In creation, we discover that God is like a lion. That's Isaiah 31, verse 4. Yeah, someone strong, powerful. We discover that God is an eagle in Deuteronomy 32. We discover that God is like a lamb in Isaiah 53. We discover that God is like a hen in Matthew 23. We discover that God is like the sun in Psalm 84. We discover that God is like the morning star in Revelations 22. We discover that God is light in Psalm 27. We discover that God is a lamp in Revelation 21. We discover that God is like fire in Hebrews 12. We discover that God is like a fountain in Psalm 36. We discover that God is a rock in Deuteronomy 32. We discover that God is a refuge and hiding place in Psalm 119. We discover that God is a tower in Proverbs 18. We discover that God is a shield in Psalm 84. We discover that God is a temple in Revelation 21. Who got all the verses? Reality is we couldn't fully grasp how great God is. And that's just in creation. And, and, and what I want us in these four weeks is just to think, wow, this is the God that we serve. I sometimes think I can get a bit lazy myself when I think about God. I just say, oh, God, whereas the Bible paints this huge, wonderful picture, well, this is the God that we serve. And as if that wasn't enough, you could then go through the Bible and find there's so many analogies. It's almost like human life and relationships that God is like that. It talks about God being like a bridegroom 
in Isaiah 61. Well, you know, if you're about to get married and you're a bridegroom, I mean, you're gushing about your bride. You're excited about your bride. Well, that is something about how God feels towards us. It talks about God being like a husband in Isaiah 54. It talks about God being a father in Deuteronomy 32. It talks about God being a judge and a king in Isaiah. It talks about God being a warrior in Exodus 15. It talks about God being an architect and a builder in Hebrews 11. It talks about God being a shepherd. You know, I almost feel like I I was at a meeting yesterday. There was a lot more black folk in this thing, and it was a lot more amens. You know what I'm saying? And I feel I need some of that this morning. Amen. Amen. You know what I'm saying? You suddenly think, this is the God that we serve. Do you believe that? Amen. Amen. We're going to start seeing which side can do the amens louder, you know? Because actually, when you think about this, you think, what a great God we serve, don't you? And it's almost like there's pictures in the Bible of even our actions that help us to see something of God. We know that God is knowing. It tells us that in Genesis 18. We know that he remembers from Genesis 8. We know that he's seeing from Genesis 1. We know that he hears from Exodus 2. We know that he smells. I mean, then there's human emotions used to describe God. We know that he's a God of joy. I'm not going to give you all the references for this. If you want them, ask me afterwards. It's full of anger, love, hatred. We know that, and, and this is just a metaphor for God because it's not a physical thing, but actually the Bible tells us that he has a face, that he's got eyes, ears, nose, mouth, lips, and tongue. There's this huge, expansive description of the almighty, incredible God. That's the one that we come before. And yet I wanted to pick out this one word that we're going to look at today. God is holy. God is holy. I mean, I don't know about you, how much you've been around the the church, and maybe your first time. But maybe you've heard people talk about, oh, the Holy Church or the Holy Bible. Or maybe you've heard about Holy Week, the week before Easter. If we're really honest, when I say that word, there's probably two extreme reactions within the room. One is you just think, so? Or one is you think, oh, golly. You might think, so? You're a bit indifferent. You see, if I'm really honest, and I I always preach it myself, they say if you point one finger at somebody else, you point three at yourself. I'm very aware of that. I want to be so welcoming. And if you're a guest here, I want you to feel so welcome. Sometimes I think, do I forget how holy God is? I want to so connect people, do I forget about connecting with God? If we're really honest, our morality is what feels good to us. Our spirituality is releasing our potential. We tend to make God in our image rather than realizing we're made in his. And so therefore I think we can get indifferent to holy God. Or maybe you're the other extreme and you think, oh no, this is why I don't go to church. Because as soon as you mention holy, I feel bad. I say the word holy and you suddenly sit there thinking, oh, which sin is Pete going to point the finger at me for today? You sit there and think, oh, golly, okay, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have watched that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have thought that. I suddenly feel guilty. And so it's almost like we, we, we don't want to know about a holy God because it makes us feel bad. I want us to pursue what is a holy God. What could we learn from him this morning? You see, holiness is not a hobby for God. It's something that is who he is. 
Thomas Brooke, he was a, a Puritan uh, writer many years ago in this country. He said, God's holiness is his nature. God's nature is his holiness. It's almost like if you had to describe God, if you had to try and understand God, you couldn't unpick him. You know, he's holy and that's his nature and that's who he is. This is the God that we declare. The Bible says in Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. I I don't know about you, what's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen? Now, if you're a husband, you should have said your wife already. If not, you're in trouble, you know what I'm saying? If you're not married, you think, what's the most beautiful thing? If I'm really honest... Obviously, I've been married 22 years. My wife comes first, but a really nice curry comes very second. Oh, just to see the colours of that plate, you know, just to smell that. You think, that is beautiful, isn't it? Amen. (laughs) The Bible says God's holiness is beautiful. That's literally what it means, the splendour of his holiness. You see, I think when we understand something about how great God is, it blows our mind. Wayne Grudem wrote a book called Systematic Theology, amongst others. It's a very thick book, and in there, he's got this rather long quote. So I put it on the screen. The difference between God's being and ours is more than the difference between the sun and a candle. More than the difference between the ocean and a raindrop. More than the difference between the Arctic ice cap and a snowflake. More than the difference between the universe and the room we're sitting on in, hopefully. God's being is qualitatively different. There's this thing, actually, God is just so, I mean, holy, he's so other and different. I could think about God in terms of all those sides. If I was a raindrop, he's the ocean. If I was a snowflake, he's the Arctic. But actually, what Wayne Green is trying to say now, actually, just the quality of this God that we worship, it makes even that comparison just not worth thinking about. I think whenever you go to the Bible and God is revealing himself, there's this, it, very quickly, we understand something of the holiness of God. You think about it. The Israelites, they've been slaves for 400 years. You, know, you probably know Moses you know, goes along. I was going to say he's the great deliverer. He's not. God uses him to deliver these people. Literally, within days of coming out of slavery, they meet at the mountain. A mountain of meeting with God is where they get the Ten Commandments. Exodus 19. And what you find there is God reveals himself as holy. They use all these pictures. I mean, you know, Hollywood would have a great time with all these sort of graphics and all these explosions. In the Bible, it describes encountering a holy God as a God of fire, a God of the earthquake, a God of thunder and lightning, a God of smoke, a God of dense cloud, a God of deep darkness. What I found fascinating reading Exodus 19 this week is they knew that God was going to come to this mountain And what God said is this, it's going to take you at least three days to get ready. Because God is that holy. I mean, I don't know about you, but you know, three days, three minutes is as long as it takes me to get ready to get out the front door. And it shows, I know. You know, but you think, come on, I put on a pair of shoes, I'm ready to go, I'm ready. But actually, God, God was saying to them, you're going to take three days to get yourself prepared to meet me because I'm that holy. 
You know, they ended up putting this fence around the mountain, literally saying, keep back. Don't even let an animal touch this mountain. Should you touch the mountain, boom. You know what I'm saying? Kebab for everyone. You know, there's something so powerful about this. I didn't think about Isaiah. Isaiah, you could say, was like this great prophet. You know, the, the longest prophetic book in the Old Testament. Massive picture. Isaiah 6. Some would say that was the beginning of his life, although it comes five chapters in. But here he is, and he has this vision of God. And if you know it, it says that he sees something of heaven, and he sees these angels. They were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, or God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then it says something, doesn't it? Isaiah felt undone. I'm an unclean man who lives in an unclean generation. There's something about the holiness of God that just blew him apart. If I then think about John's revelation, it's called the book of Revelation. It's the last book of the Bible. They say he was on the Isle of Patmos, and he saw these visions. He had these dreams. He saw something of God. In Revelation 4, verse 8, he describes day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I mean, it's funny because we're used to that three times. I mean, they reckon in Jewish literature, if you said a word twice, I mean, that was what? I mean, that's underlined it. Three times they'd, they'd recorded this. In Isaiah, in Revelation, holy, holy, holy. It tells us in Revelation that literally the elders, this was considered the sort of the best people around, the most important, the most influential. The elders fall on their faces and worship. They take their crowns off and lay them before their feet. There's a story that goes that Queen Victoria, who used to rule this country, said that she wanted Christ to return in her reign. Because if he did, she would take off her crown and lay it at his feet. And it's almost like recognizing, actually, he's the king of kings. Although she might have said, look, she reigns literally around the world. You see, and yet this word, if we're really honest, holy, it's so hard to, to grapple with. What does it mean? Pete, I'd prefer if you, you preached on the bridegroom or preached on the lion or preached... Because we understand some of those things. What do we understand by the word holy? It's holly with a spelling mistake, isn't it? I mean, I don't know. What do you think about when you think of holy? I typed into Google this week, holy. Do you know what came up? An Indian restaurant in London called Holy Cow. <laughs> I don't understand how you get vegetarians at Holy Cow, but we won't go sidetracked. But there was this thing, I, I thought, golly, is that what people think of when they think of holy? I was thinking, was it Batman's sidekick, Robin, who used to say, holy smoke? You know, but obviously that's my generation. What do you think of? Whenever the Bible talks about holiness, it talks about something dynamic, emotive, and powerful. I read quite a bit of a book this week, with Derek Tidball. Uh, he used to uh, be the principal at London Bible College. And he'd written a book all about holiness. And he says this, he is as much a dangerous God in his holiness as he is a unique God in his grace. And I think that so often what happens is we want to think about God and his grace 
and his love and his forgiveness and his gentleness. He's unique and accepting. And he's saying, but actually he's dangerous. Did you think of God as dangerous? But he's holy. That's what the Bible describes him as. In the Old Testament, there's a story, isn't there? In in 2 Samuel chapter 6, King David has now got um, the what became the two kingdoms, he's united them together, he's now sort of reigning over this kingdom, and this is what the Bible tells us, and then he brings back the ark of God, and you think this signifies the presence of God, it's almost like saying, come on, this is it, and we're going together, and actually he's not doing it right, the king should have known better, he has the ark on the back of a cart, A ute, I suppose. You know what I'm saying? Just sticks it on the back of the four-wheel drive and he's driving along with it and it's a bumpy road and the ark's about to fall off and Uzziah puts his hand out to stop it and God kills him. You think, wow, what a picture of the holiness of God. And you might say, oh, Pete, that's very Old Testament. (laughs) Fortunately, what about after Jesus? Well, after Jesus, we know in Acts 5, don't we, that Ananias and Sapphira decide to lie. Yeah, be very careful now. Because they take an offering in the church. And what happens is Ananias and Sapphira, they have this property and they decide to sell it. And then they decide to say, oh, look, here's the money. But instead, they've told a porky pie. They decide to lie. And they said, is that all the money? It was yours when you sold it? It's yours when you give it? Yeah, yeah, no, we've given everything. Yeah, yeah, honest, honest, you know what I'm saying? And both of them die. Because there's something of the holiness of God. It's like, oh, they thought they could get away with lying to God. What do you think about when you think about the holiness of God? You see, it's funny, because in the Old Testament, you could almost say there was three categories as you read through the Bible. You've got what was unclean. You know what I'm saying? That's why you, there's not a lot of pigs in Israel. They were unclean. Don't eat bacon sandwiches. You have what was clean. That was those that have been touched. And then you'd have those that were holy. And it's almost like people could think there was a progression in the Old Testament. So something like the tabernacle was holy. It wasn't an unclean place, it wasn't a clean place, it was a holy place. The temple, the priest, that's what they thought of when they think of holy. Is that what we think now? Do we think, well, there's, there's people in this life that are unclean? Dirty, evil, rotten people. There's clean. I mean, that's, that's us, we're all in church, aren't we? But then there's holy. Is that where we've gone? Is that what we understand holiness to be? I think holiness and this is what most of us think about, is separation from sin. Holiness is separation from sin. And that's where we suddenly have this fear reacted to the word, don't we? It's, oh no, holiness. As soon as you say it, I feel undone. As soon as you say it, I feel bad. But actually I would say this. Holiness is not just separation from sin. Holiness is living for the glory of God. Living for the glory of God, seeking the glory of God. So it's not just about don't do certain things. Being a Christian, being holy, it's not, oh, you don't do certain things. Actually, it's living for his glory. Derek Tidball, I quoted him earlier, says this, if God were not holy, he could not be gracious. 
For he can only undeservedly forgive if there's a real offense to forgive in the first place. So suddenly to me, holiness is something attractive. You see what I'm saying? Because God in his holiness chooses to forgive. God in his holiness says, look, you don't deserve this, but I'm gracious. He can only be gracious if he's holy. Sometimes we think, oh, I just want God to be loving. Well, actually, if he's not a judge and if he's not just, well, how could he be? You see what I'm saying? The two have got to go together. If he's not one, he cannot be the other. The God that we serve is wholly unique. It says in Exodus 15, Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is there like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. I mean, what I love about this is there is no sin in God. God is completely perfect. It says in Deuteronomy 32, He is the rock His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong. I can't can't begin to comprehend that, can you? I mean, we don't like the term sin, do we? But the Bible describes sin as anything less than perfection. The Bible says sin is not even doing the good that you know that you should do. So a sin can be something you think, it can be something you say, it can be something you do. In fact, if you don't do the good that you should do, that's also a sin. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands now because that might encourage you to sin as well. But if we're really honest, some of us have sinned since I've started preaching. You think we're just, it's almost like we're wrapped up in it. But the Bible says God has never, ever sinned. He is incapable of error. That's what it means by the fact when God is holy. What? He hates sin. Don't you see where that suddenly leaves me? So I've, uh, I admit, admit I've done wrong. I admit it. Then how do I come before a holy God? There is only one way. That's what the whole sacrifices were about in the Old Testament. It's almost like they were showing God's seriousness of sin, but actually his mercy. And so they would kill all these animals. But actually one day there would come this perfect sacrifice. And when we start looking at the New Testament, we know that Jesus is presented as the perfect holy sacrifice. Derek Tidball again, found him very helpful. If we want to understand what it is to be holy, we need to do no more than to look to Jesus Christ. In fact, there is nowhere else we can look and see perfect holiness. Jesus Christ was perfect and holy. When? Mary was pregnant, or she was going to have this child. The angel came in Luke 1 and says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. The one born, so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Right from his birth, it was discovered Jesus is going to be holy and perfect. If you carried on just in the book of Luke, in Luke 4, when the, the sort of demons were being confronted and there was like power encounters, they would say, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus was understood as holy. Even when he was dying on the cross, one of the thieves said to him, we deserve this, but you've done nothing wrong. I mean, isn't that you're holy? Jesus fulfilled 
everything the Old Testament had ever talked about holiness. I know I've got a little carried away in it this week. I found it fascinating. If you wanted to look at the whole journey of the Old Testament, if you said, what in the Old Testament, what's holiness? Well, actually, you'd look at the book of Leviticus, and Leviticus was all about rules, and holiness was to do with purity. That's why you had a priest. A priest was there to in, in, in make sure the rules were obeyed to try and make you pure. If you looked at the Old Testament and you tried to describe holiness, what would you think about? You'd think about Proverbs. Proverbs 2 describes holiness as wisdom. And the one that instigated wisdom in the people of God was the king. It was the king that was ruled in wisdom. Therefore, if I'm trying to describe holiness, I might think of a king. I might think of a priest. I might think of purity. I might think of wisdom. Or I might think of the prophet. The prophet was the one who spoke the radical word of God. Isaiah 58 The prophet was there saying, what I really desire from you is justice. These were pictures of holiness that had existed amongst the people of God. And Jesus fulfilled every one. If we had time, we could trace it all through. Matthew presents Jesus as wisdom. The perfect righteousness of God. The perfect king. Mark presents Jesus as authentic purity. Not in, uh, he avoids the impure, not the heart of rules, but takes the place of the impure. Luke presents Jesus, the one who brings divine compassion and justice, cares for the poor. And it's almost like these gospel writers were saying, look, we've always looked for this holy one. This is the holy one. And his name is Jesus. Which brings us right back to the reading Mark brought at the end of our time of worship. Okay, so this is a holy God, and this is how he sent his son, the Holy One, to die for us. How does this impact us? Is this just all a bit, oh, golly, this is a hard one for a bank holiday weekend. I hope the other three are a little bit easier. I tell you, this is to fundamentally challenge who we are. 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16 says this, Just as he who called you is holy, so be holy In all you do, for it is written, be holy as I am holy. What I would like to say this morning, being holy is not a burden, it's God's best. I don't believe that God comes and brings us burdens. I think he wants the best for you. I mean, isn't that great? God wants the best for you. I think, wow. Anne Lamott, she's an American writer, she says this, laughter is carbonated holiness. It's almost like that's what it means, you know what I'm saying? So it's almost like God wants the best for us. There's almost this way of understanding. We can think it's so boring or so staid or so heavy. How do we have the balance? How do we get the balance between it? God is our best friend. God is our caring, loving father. And yet God is holy. C.H. Spurgeon used to say, there is nothing little about God. He was a great preacher over 150 years ago here. So it's like, hey, God is great and awesome. How do we keep the two? Simon Ponsbury in his book, he's a writer, English guy. He says, the intimacy and the invitation do not remove the distinction. We're called to know God, we're called to encounter God, but we've always got to remember that he is God. 
and we are not. C.S. Lewis, many of you have heard of him. He said, how little people know who think that holiness is dull. When one meets the real thing, it is irresistible. Would you have ever described holiness as irresistible? But then maybe we've misunderstood holiness. Because I think God surely is irresistible. And he is the holy God. And if we're called to be a holy people, we should be irresistible. Because we're something like God. I feel this is a a huge challenge just for us to stop and look at him. Simon Ponsbury in his book said, and I agree, when the church gets serious about holiness and sick with sinfulness, then and only then may we expect God to get serious with us. I think surely this is something that, you know, you think, oh, I, I can tell you what we're doing. Next week we're looking at God is eternal. That will be a long sermon, I know, haha. We're then looking at God is our shepherd. We're then looking at God is our king. I think these are some wonderful glimpses of the great God that we serve. But actually, I did so want us to start with, but our God is holy. He's different. He's other. He's unique. He's perfect. And yet he's provided a holy way for us to come to him. What I found fascinating, I know the band are going to lead us, and we're going to come and, and respond and worship this holy God. Whenever God revealed himself as holy in the Old Testament, or the New, people responded in a very similar way. They would bow down, they would fall, they would take off their shoes, they felt undone, they confessed their sin. Now, you know... I'm not into making everybody do the same thing. So I think it's up to you. But I would love us to come and recognize we're coming before a holy God. So for some people, you might think, God, I feel I just need to kneel this morning. Some people think, actually, I'm going to have to take my shoes off. Some people, you just think there's an acknowledgement and bowing of your head. Some of you, in your real hearts, you think, I I, want to freely confess what I've done wrong because I come before a holy God. For some of us, if we're really honest, there's going to be something, oh, this is irresistible and exciting. And I love God to feel that there's a sense of adrenaline pumps in. I think the danger is that we almost think what's irresistible is sin. And we think, oh, that all glitters and it's interesting and I want to get a hold of it. I believe that if we understand something of Scripture, what surely is irresistible is holiness. Holiness says, look, this needs to be punished. I will pay the punishment. Isn't that attractive? I mean, he loved us, I was going to say, despite the cost. I have a little confession. We have a fairly old house, I suppose, I mean. 1901, I think it is. There you go, 113-year-old house. And the thing I like about an old house compared to a modern one, you don't have to clean it as well because you can put it down to character. You see, you come around and you think, well, it's fairly tidy, but actually, I mean, there's dust everywhere in our place. I'm not blaming my wife. She works very hard, and it's probably my responsibility to do it anyway. 
But, you know, you could suddenly think, oh, golly, he's collected on the skirting board, or he's collected here, or he's, you know. And, and I just think, oh, I'm not that fussed about it. I'd much rather have people around and just sit and relax than clean the place. But sometimes I think I can be a little bit like that before God. Okay, so I've got a bit of sin here. Okay, it's my weakness. I know I shouldn't think those thoughts, but hey, let's not worry about it. I, I don't sweep stuff under the carpet because we don't have a carpet to sweep it under, you know, but it's almost that kind of picture, isn't it? But it's almost like God saying this morning, now actually, we need to deal with some of these things. And when we understand, he is the holy God. Why does the church talk about money so much? Oh, every week they take an offering. Oh, actually, because what we don't want to do is to sweep it under the carpet and say, actually, I'm only ever going to do these jobs for cash. Oh, I'm never going to declare this income. Oh, you know, I'm saying, oh, I know that I owe that, but I reckon I can get away without paying it. No, actually, what we want to say is we, we want to be holy because he is holy. And there's something so attractive about God in it. And surely it would be so attractive in us too. I let the band come back and lead us. Before we rush into a song, I'd love to take a, a moment just of silence, complete silence. How are you going to respond to the Word of God today?